0: Rowan White is a seed keeper from the Mohawk community of Akwasasne and is the director and founder of Sierra Seeds, an organic seed cooperative based in Nevada City, California. I spoke with Rowan in 2019 about her work to sustain and revitalize indigenous seed sovereignty. As we prepare to gather around our tables for Thanksgiving, we are resharing this conversation as an invitation to honor and remember the embodied histories and relationships that are carried by the foods that nourish us. Rowan views seeds as both her direct ancestors and her greatest teachers. Throughout this conversation, Rowan speaks about the links between cultural revitalization and the restoration of traditional foodways, how resilience is rooted in diversity, and her growing awareness of the ways that seeds are a reflection of people. Well... It's a real pleasure to talk with you this morning, Rowan, and I wanted to start off by getting a sense of what your relationship with food and farming and seeds was like growing up.
1: Well, first and foremost, as a Mohawk woman, uh, we are, culturally, we're intimately connected in with food and farming because of our ancestral traditions uh, and our cosmologies and our stories, but Uh, Unfortunately, due to the impacts of colonization, acculturation, uh, displacement of our people, um, when I was growing up, uh, the last people that I knew who farmed and gardened kind of as a a livelihood were my uh, great-grandparents. My grandparents grew up on a farm, um, but they were all part of what we call the boarding school generation. So they were taken away from their families. Uh, and the connection between the land and between food and seed from a cultural perspective was really severed. Uh, and so I always was curious, always pounding rocks and getting my hands in the earth. And uh, my mom had a little garden out back. Uh, I used to grow these little pumpkins and um Everybody always used to say that um, I have two uh, ancestors in my lineage, my great-grandfather, Alex White, uh, and my great-grandmother, Anna Jacobs, and they used to always say that there was, um, you know, some of them coming through in my curiosity and fascination with uh, the natural world and with food and growing things. And when I was 17, uh, as a young woman, I found myself on an organic farm um, in Western Massachusetts and the magic of seeds and the magic of uh, biodiversity and this whole doorway of inquiry opened up for me as a young woman. I was uh, tasked at this particular farm with growing uh, heirloom tomatoes. And at that point, um, as a Mohawk woman, uh, growing up eating a lot of canned food, a lot of processed food because of some of the sort of, I guess, gaps in that traditional foodways knowledge, I didn't realize that tomatoes came in any other color but round and red, right? And so I was growing these tomatoes that were purple and orange and fuzzy and all these different, you know, this whole prism and rainbow of of color and diversity. And not only was I so fascinated by that particular discovery, but I also realized that not only did these seeds have places where they originated from, you know, homelands that were oftentimes written in the descriptions on the seed packets or in the seed catalogs. But they also had people who they had intimately been connected with uh, throughout time, you know, that people had been in these intimate and very connected relationships to these seeds. And I think equal to my joy in that moment, you know, being on that farm and learning about all of these, you know, tomato varieties, and we were planting in the greenhouse, That was a cornerstone moment. I remember sort of sitting on this dusty farmhouse floor in New England, and I remember that palpable feeling of grief at the same time, of this longing of saying, well, who were the foods that fed my ancestors? You know, what were the seeds that fed my ancestors? And so there was this joy and grief kind of mingling together. And at that moment, I told myself, I said, I want to find out the foods and seeds that fed my ancestors. And that was... 23 years ago, uh, and and I've been on a path of inquiry ever since. In, in terms of going back to my home community, asking elders and 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 family members, like what foods do you remember eating as a kid, and and what did they look like, and you know, found some really unlikely allies along the way. So um, it definitely has helped me, you know, from from growing into a young womanhood, sort of really looking in this modern world of looking at who I was as a Mohawk woman. It really, the foods and seeds really helped me to reclaim a sense of identity and find my way home, uh, finding that purpose and helping me to restore a sense of of connectedness and a sense of like a a restoring, I guess, is what you can say is like a restoring of my life through food and seed. Uh, so they've been very impactful. And I always, I always tell folks along my road is that the seeds have become my teacher. They brought me through a very unconventional rites of passage, you know, to learning who I was as a young woman. Um, I didn't necessarily have a ceremonial rites of passage, but those seeds and foods became my um, aunties and my grandmothers teaching me kind of what I needed to know Along that pathway towards self-discovery as an indigenous woman living in this modern world, they helped me to um, find meaning and purpose in my life. And so I'm forever indebted to them for uh, helping me uh, in that
0: way. So your relationship to seeds that really blossomed on that farm led to kind of reclaiming and reconnecting to a culture that you were distanced from.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, there was a, definitely a reclamation of, of, and a restoration of relationship um, that was necessary because, you know, as many of us indigenous peoples who live on Turtle Island in North America, um, our foodways were violently dismantled, you know, for, for very specific reasons to disempower and control us. And so... A lot of my inquiry in the last many years has been around this inextricable link between cultural revitalization and the restoration of our traditional foodways. That there's inherent memories, there's inherent knowledge and wisdom that's encoded in those food and seeds. Um, you know, like the corn that I have here in my hand. They're a, kind of a, a way in which this memory has been encoded. Uh, since time immemorial, of all these teachings, of all these ways of of being, and so, when we begin to, um, as Indigenous peoples, reclaim our culture and restore relationships to the land and to uh, you know all our relations around us, I think these foods and seeds have a really important role to play in that revitalization of culture.
0: Hmm. And what was it like for you, you know, as a young woman, kind of? Being opened up to this whole world through the seeds you held in your hand, like uh, personally, what 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 did it reveal to you and change?
1: I think it gave me renewed hope. You know, as as Indigenous people growing up in a time and space where you have to oftentimes walk in two worlds, right? You, all, it's very. Um, there's a lot of conflicting messages that you get. You know, one on one hand, you're you have this identity as an indigenous person, but you're walking in a world that is, you know, very colonized and very um, like isn't always um, a safe space to sort of express you know those parts of ourselves. And so, for me, I feel like it has continued as from a young woman onward. These seeds have given me a trellis of hope, you know, in a time where, you know, we live in communities where there's a lot of despair, Uh, there's a lot of um, intergenerational trauma that's unresolved, there's a lot of unresolved grief that comes from um, the imposed shame that comes from colonization and acculturation, and so these seeds and and foods uh, and have become my trellis of hope in a lot of ways have have given me uh, renewed focus and purpose um, at a time in my life as a young woman, 16, 17, who, you know, it's, it's really at that time in our lives and that stage of our development as humans, we're always looking for like, why did we come here? What is our purpose here on earth? And, and I, I feel like they've been those ones who've given me purpose, you know, everyone hopefully along their path at some point in their life, find something where they, uh, feel so passionate. I feel like seeds were my first love in a way. You know, this something that I felt so deeply um, enamored with just in terms of their beauty, um, the way that I feel when I look at them, the the ancestral memories that they recall inside my body. And um, in some ways over the years, I've grown to know that they're just rehydrating in my blood and my bones these original agreements that my ancestors made with these foods a long time ago, and and so it's a natural thing that so many of us have have forgotten um, and and kind of f- forgotten that we long for for that sort of relationship to our food that um, and so over time I've learned that that the joy that I feel the passion I feel is this restoration of this um, you know these long forgotten original agreements that that I have in my blood and my bones. And um, it's a good feeling to feel like they're coming back to life and that they help inform me as I walk in the world. They offer a set of guiding principles and offer a set of uh, core values that really guide the way in which I move in the world, which is vitally important in a time where there's so much disconnection and there's so much um, confusion on the earth. And I think so much of the current predicament that we're in as a as a society at large, is that there's a lot of grief of disconnection. I don't think any one of us is untouched by that grief of disconnection. Um, and I think that there's many ways to find our way home, so to speak, to feeling um, more um, at home inside our bodies and at home in this earth that we we inhabit here. And, um, you know, my my pathway home has been through, you know, finding meaning in, in this food and, and being one person of many who can nourish and, and make people feel, um, you know, really healthy and, and, and good from, from the very core.
0: You've spoken about the dangers of our experience and relationship to food being disconnected or disassociated with seeds. Uh, and that really struck me, uh, for as much as people seem to be more aware of the importance of a healthy food system, uh, you don't hear seeds mentioned very often. hmm why do you think this is the case? And, and you know, maybe what happens when this relationship becomes severed?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I feel like, again, through a multitude of, uh, of variables over the last, you know, many decades and centuries, even, there's a a way in which we've abdicated our relationship to seeds to somebody else. We've been disempowered um, to um, to understand the very intricacies of how, food even comes to be on our plate you know so many children these days have no idea that so many of the foods that nourish them every day uh trace back to the generosity of a seed right that 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 at the heart of you know even you know all of the foods that come onto our plates all the multitude of foods that that nourish us um that that they do trace back to seeds and i do think um, there has been a very manufactured disconnection you know, within our food system to disempower people. And I think part of my mission and, and part of, I think, the SEEDS mission that kind of comes through me, I guess is a better way of saying it, is that we need more SEED literacy in our, in our, in our food systems and the way that we um, make change in our food systems. And I think what that comes back down to is an honoring of origins is an honoring of, um, you know, these, I always call them intimate immensities. A seed is so um, big and so small at the same time, you know, and um, I I think the more that we can continue to call in the way that we advocate for seed um, and the multitude of varieties that um, make up our food system, the more that we can create more literacy, cultivate more literacy and and advocate for them, I think the healthier and more durable our food system will be. Um, what I've learned along the way is that our resilience is rooted in that diversity. Um, the reason why humans have been able to um, adapt uh, and evolve to the ever-changing face of our Mother Earth um, is because of um, that biodiversity of being able to you know, be resilient in the face of that change. And seeds adapt so quickly um, in the face of that change and 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 what what concerns me I guess is that um, much of our food system rests upon a very narrow um, bottleneck or a narrow pinnacle of just a handful of varieties you know the, the genetic erosion that has happened over the last several decades of you know a time when you know, there was a multitude of different varieties of all different types of crops that fed and nourished people um, now down to just a handful of varieties that make up um, the food that ends up on our plate. Um, and that's troubling to me because it means that our food system is less resilient. And I feel like the key to resilience in our food system is Dependent upon the diversity that's inherent in the seeds that are the foundation of that food system, and so a big part of my work is to advocate for people to not forget about the seeds and um, and not for I mean and not forget about our relationship to them. When I uh, go into spaces to teach or to share story, I oftentimes bring seeds and food with me, and there's a, a palpable sparkle in people's eyes and a, a joy. Uh, that people get when they will gather up a handful of these beautiful seeds. And I think it it reminds them of what's possible, of the beauty that's possible in our food system, and also a food system that's rooted in a culture of belonging, right? And I think the inherent, like if you look at this seed that I'm holding in my hand, it's this uh, Navajo robin's egg corn. And um, the, the corn herself is very, uh, it's got these blue speckles on this white corn. And um, what they say is that this is uh, reminiscent of, of rain on dust, right? That this is um, reminding us of how important the rain that falls on the earth is so vital to our, our survival as humans. Um, and encoded in these seeds are ceremonies and seed songs and uh, stories and um, lineages and immigration, um, you know, migration stories. Um, and so when we have a relationship, to these seeds and know them by name and eat them in our, um, at our kitchen tables. And, uh, then we begin to call that back into our lives again. You know, all of that richness that those memories bring, that we would have ceremonies and songs and dances that honor the food that make it to our table and that we would have a food system that embraces, um, deep story and deep connection at its very heart.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, you, you've you talked a lot about how seeds carry much more than the blueprint of the plant that they can become. They are much more complex, intertwined with humans and our story than we realize. And as you just described, that they carry stories um, or they tell stories. So you you said, you know, they hold lineages of relationships. And earlier you also talked about how those relationships... Hold trauma and grief, as well as joy. So could you talk a little bit about this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, so many people on the earth, we're all indigenous to somewhere and we're all, I think, called in this time to be in inquiry about decolonizing ourselves uh, and, de- and our relationships. And that process is multisensory. Uh, it's not just, we can't just think our way out of the predicament that we're in. It really requires us to Um, reimagine the way in which we engage in the world from a multitude of senses. And in some ways, like when we uh, eat this corn or eat these traditional seeds, they go inside of our bodies and rewire us and reconnect us in ways and places that we can't even think into. Like we don't even know that there are places that need to be healed inside of ourselves. And so the seeds and the foods... Have the capacity to do that. Um, we had a, a beautiful gathering around the central fire of the Haudenosaunee people. Um, as a Mohawk woman, we're a part of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, and we had a, a gathering to really uh, honor the seed keepers and the seeds of our, uh, Confederacy in 2016. And, uh, when we were gathering around that, that particular, um, uh, Purpose, you know, to really look as a, a nation and as a gathering of nations to do to say what are we gonna do to, to keep the seeds alive for the generations yet to come? Uh, we talked about how s- this elder talked about how the seeds were the reflection of the people. And when the people are suffering or when they're when they're being challenged in the world. The seeds are also suffering. Um, But when we strengthen the seeds, we start to focus ourselves on the seeds or on the foods. I mean, you could replace seed with a buffalo or a a salmon or, you know, whatever particular traditional food is kind of at the center. When we begin to strengthen um, the seeds, the people inherently become strengthened themselves. And I was, I was, I went away from that gathering, I was driving across. Um, the heartland, right—the the middle of this country—and and what we know about the middle of this country is that there's kind of there's endless fields of uh, genetically modified um, corn seed, right, and and soybean, and and I remember driving across. It was in May, so everything was just a beautiful sprout, and I remember driving across the those roads, and the fields were just sprouting. And I remember seeing the beauty in the, those fields and singing seed songs to those fields. And then I remembered in my mind that they were, you know, GMO seeds. And, you know, so many of us villainize the seeds. But it's, they're really those seeds have been so exploited themselves by the larger capitalist um, system. And, and I remember thinking in my head that thought that had been seeded to me by my elder about how the seeds were the reflection of the people and I remember being driving through those cornfields and thinking, these seeds are a reflection of the American people, um, that these seeds are um, kind of a mix of tattered origins that have been sort of cut and spliced together and like, and in my mind, I said, these are brokenhearted seeds being planted by brokenhearted people who have no idea of who they are and where they come from, you know, so they make seeds that look like themselves, you know, and I, I've, I've shared that sentiment with a lot of people and and, and people find a lot of truth in, in that way of looking at things is how are we uh, restoring a food system that have inherent whole seeds at the center um, that, that restore a sense of, pride and resilience and um, a sense of identity to the people, you know, in this, in this country. And I feel like that is how we are going to address the syndrome. I think it's a syndrome of genetic modification. It's actually a, it, it, uh, it's a symptom, I guess, of a deeper syndrome that that is a, discon- a people disconnected um, from who they are uh, and where they come from. And there um, are a lot of us, uh, many of my elders and teachers that speak of a time where we need to reseed the people, you know, we need to reseed not only physical, the seeds, the good seeds that, that, that create the foundation of our, of our food system, um, but also reseeding those songs and those stories and that sense of reverence and that sense of, of love and connection to the food that ends up on our, on our plates. Because otherwise then we create a system of exploitation, um, that continues to look at food and seed as dead, inanimate, Objects, whereas in my worldview and in many of our indigenous worldviews, they these seeds are our relatives; that we are directly direct lineal descendants of our of these seeds and foods, and so it's our responsibility to care for them and protect them.
0: You've talked a lot about that, you know, challenge to the to the dominant Western worldview of seeds as an inanimate object, but as you're describing them, they. They come alive as if they're relatives and and as if they're kin. Um, And and just as we're seeking to reconnect to seeds and food in a meaningful way, it seems like you're talking about how seeds themselves are yearning for human relationship and that they were left behind uh, as people moved away from a direct relationship from growing food. How... Have you experienced um, seeds communicating this yearning? You know, how are they talking to you about what's been happening to them?
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel very humbled and very uh, honored uh, to have seeds be uh, one of my great teachers in this life. And I sit in circle with a number of indigenous uh, seed keepers who feel the same way. It feels like we become... Vessels and and voices um, that, that speak on their behalf in this time when so many people have forgotten uh, the immensity of a seed and the power of, of a seed. Um, I've seen and heard stories of corn dances and songs coming back through young people who've been immersed in community gardens where these old forgotten ways are coming back again um, through the hearts and and intuitions of these young people, these, you know, these songs and these dances that were perhaps thought to be extinct or forgotten um, have been returning um, because we've been restoring our connection and relationship to seed. As a Haudenosaunee woman, a Mohawk woman, our connection to these seeds draws back all the way to our original creation story where these seeds and foods emerged from the dying body of our, uh, the daughter of original woman, right? So they came from her body as a gift to her sons, her twin sons that said that we would be forever be nourished by these foods and seeds. And, and so therefore it was our responsibility to, to acknowledge that we were bound in a reciprocal relationship to them, that they were our Relatives that we were to take care of them, and that part of their duty was, in some ways, to to lay themselves down and sacrifice for um, for the nourishment of of those of the human relatives. And so, as we as we begin to remember, right, I always think about remember as like a group of words meaning to put things back together. You're remembering. You're putting things back together again. As we begin to put the pieces back together of our. Of our of our food of the way that we uh, feed and nourish ourselves, um, I think that uh, the seeds have a lot of ways in which they're animating us and, and animating our hands and hearts and bodies um, to to grow a, a, a way of nourishing ourselves and, and sustaining ourselves on the land that um, that honors the the grand lineage of of, of ancestors human ancestors and non-human ancestors who went through so much adversity um, and joys and all the things of what it means to be human so that we could have food and seed here today and and I think a lot of us in this movement um, make our lives love poems and and honoring songs to um, to ensure that we're not that generation that um, forgot that 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 didn't um, kind of keep that chain of, of stewardship and, and lineage alive for uh, those yet to come and it was told to our elders as Mohawk um, people um, that the seeds came from the sky world which is where we came from before we came from to here um, to this world and that part of that if we were to continue to abdicate our relationship to those seeds and foods, that those foods and seeds would go away back to where they came from. And many elders and and people from our community made a lot of ceremony and a lot of prayer and a lot of offerings um, to ensure that those seeds were um, reminded that we didn't forget about them. And so uh, it's, we make renewed commitment in this work that we do to make sure that we don't forget and to ensure that we have a bundle of seeds that's in better shape than when we received the bundle, right? That's kind of the the inherent lesson. And we always say that in in our in our culture, we believe that we don't own the seeds, but we borrow them from our children. Um, and it keeps us in a really good mind to remember that um, it, these aren't ours. You know, we we borrow them from those yet to come, and so it's our responsibility to make sure they're in really good, um, you know, in good good hands and in good shape for for when those. Uh, next generations come come to this earth.
0: Hmm. Earlier, you, you spoke about agreements um, that were made between your people and 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 the seeds between seeds, plants, humans. These, I guess, stories, these agreements that you said have mostly been forgotten, and how there is a correlation between this and the problems we're experiencing in our food systems. So I'm curious to hear what are these agreements that you're speaking about
1: yeah i mean i think so many of us have agreements um what i'd like to remind folks is that you know there was a time on earth when agriculture didn't exist you know that there was the wild plants and and animals um and people have always been in relationship to them and i think agriculture as a current concept um looks very different in lots of ways. You know, we as humans have been shaping the landscape since time immemorial and have been in um, collaboration and with all a manner of different, you know, wild plants and animals for a long, long time. Um, but there was a time in history, you know, some people say it was around 10,000 years ago, although, you know, you never know, um, that there were wild plants uh, that... And, and, and this is... Uh, I feel like it was an invitation from the wild, you know, and this is how it's been told to me is that there were wild plants who um, could see the potential of being in a different sort of relationship with humans and invited us into this co-creative dance uh, that we call agriculture. And so the plants gave up a little of their wildness, and we as humans gave up a little of our wildness too. And we came into this covenant, the sacred covenant, or this marriage. In some cultures, it's spoken of as a marriage. We came into this um, relationship. And part of those agreements were to take care of one another, you know, that we were going to, um, you know, be bound in this reciprocal relationship, to care intimately for one another, you know, as we move forward. Uh, and and so that um, is the is the foundation of those agreements, is that understanding of reciprocity, right? Is understanding that um, when when you do well, I do well. And that, that and it is a courtship too, that there's an aspect of of wanting to ensure that, that they're well taken care of, not just because it means nourishment and food for us, because but because there's a a deeper sense of, of love and relationality um, in that connection. And so, um, those, and then there's a multitude of agreements, I think, that for every culture is different in terms of what does caring for a seed look like? Like, you know, that what are the systems? What are the ways that we grow? What are the ways that we cook? What are the, um, the protocols? You know, there are, there are ways, like, for instance, as a Mohawk woman, there are agreements that I can't speak unkind words around seeds. You know, it's, it, that's part of the, cultural bundle that we have is that we're supposed to keep a good mind when we're around seeds because they're very sensitive, you know, and that they, if they hear us speaking harsh and unkind words to one another around them, that they, you know, become brokenhearted and they, they don't, you know, have the vitality to grow. And so that's like part of that agreement that we have with them is that we, we keep a good mind, a good heart around them. So there's a multitude of layers of, of agreements. Some of them are around our ceremonies. And so there's a, uh, there's a need in this time for us young people to step up and look to our elders and say we're here you know we don't forget we understand how important our memory of these ways is to the survival of our people because as mohawk people our ceremonial cycles our ceremonial calendar is an agricultural calendar like if you if you look at the cycles at which we pray and and make offerings and all of this is is in direct alignment with the seasonal cycles as it relates to how we feed and nourish ourselves. So if we are no longer feeding and nourishing ourselves through the act of co-creating with the land and with the seeds in this way, um, then the process of going through those rituals and ceremonies becomes just a husk, right? There's the germ is no longer there. Like the, the heart of, of, of that of the purpose of why we do that is no longer there. If people aren't en- engaging in meaningful relationships to those foods and seeds.
0: Hmm. One of the strands of your work focuses on returning seeds to their original keepers, uh, birthplace and land Uh, Can you talk about why this is so important?
1: Um, You know, through a multitude of reasons, uh, many seeds have moved from uh, the lands of origin, uh, from uh, tribal communities outward. Um, We know that seeds move and migrate. It's it's naturally a part of a seed's journey to want to move along kinship routes and trade routes. You know, Corn herself moved from a very fertile valley in Oaxaca, you know, to all reaches of the globe um, through trade and through um, kinship routes. Um, But during the time of uh, immense colonization and displacement and acculturation in the last several centuries in North America, there has been um, some disconnections uh, between people. And their seeds and also people and their ancestral lands um, through things like the Long Walk and the Trail of Tears. People have been um, relocated forcefully to other places um, and sometimes carrying those seed bundles with them. And then sometimes those seeds uh, were um, traded out but but didn't stay um Alive in their communities of origin and found themselves in places like the USDA seed bank and public access seed banks like Seed Savers Exchange in Iowa and the Field Museum in Chicago, and University of Michigan, um, many places in which these seeds have found themselves away from their um, communities of origin. And as we've been working with the Indigenous Seed Keepers Network, as a part of the larger indigenous food sovereignty movement uh, in North America, uh, one of the key questions and the key uh, challenges or problems that we've seen is that Tribal communities are needing access again to culturally significant seeds. That some of these seeds are no longer uh, available in their in their communities because of that those eras of um, of transition. And so, many people are familiar with the word repatriation, which oftentimes is uh, used when when. Native communities are reclaiming funerary objects or objects that have been thefted or um, remove, removed from tribal communities and also ancestral remains when those um, are being returned uh, from institutions outside their community back to their community. Um, this is a really different and interesting piece and in why we call this movement seed rem- rematriation is that these seeds are alive, you know, and they're coming back home. They're living relatives kind of, you know, having come home after a long stint away, um, back to their motherland, right? Back to them, their, their mother community. So the rematriation is hearkening to that, that, that maternal connection. In many of our communities, there's a matrilineal connection to the earth. In many of our communities, uh, the bundles of seed um, are carried by the women. Um, and the, the the ways in which these seed songs and ceremonies are kept alive is in in the in the hands and hearts of women. And so we are uh, rematriating these seed bundles from institutions back to tribal communities. Honestly, in in all the work that I've been doing over the last twenty plus years, uh, this work of seed rematriation is some of the most impactful work that I've seen in terms of how healing it is. How when an indigenous community works together in collaboration with with an institution or an an organization or a group of people that ancestrally were their adversaries, right? Um, When they work together with seeds at the center, there's an immense amount of intergenerational healing that happens. um, When we um, choose to sort of lay the wounds to the side and lay our kind of war axes to the side and work together um to grow a garden um to to um you know r- restore these seeds to their rightful um places um there's immense amount of healing that comes with that and i think in this time that we live in um especially in the political climate that we live in that speaks so much to you know the division and to borders and to you know segregation of people um i think that the message that these seeds are carrying is a message of of again, reconciliation and reparations of people working together uh, cross-culturally to heal wounds that feel almost impossible to heal. There are some incredible stories of communities that we've been working with where, you know, there's the generosity of the indigenous peoples to be willing to trust um, these allies and then the allies coming forth with, with land and resources that help make the restoration of these seed varieties back in their tribal communities possible. So I just think that there's so many uh, messages of hope uh, that come from um, these this this movement to, to rematriate seed.
0: And I guess rematriation is almost a broader way of looking at restoring the feminine back into our lives through our food systems and also recognizing that i guess our industrial food system at its root is very patriarchal
1: yeah and it's interesting it's interesting because i think yeah it's not just seeds to people but it's people to land right it's to restoring that that, that very sacred maternal connection that people have to to the land herself you know and you know, we've seen some, inc- I mean, there's just some incredible stories, like the Pawnee returning home after, you know, being, um, you know, after being away from their ancestral homelands in Nebraska, you know, removed through that Trail of Tears era to Oklahoma, um, coming home to this land Um that fed their ancestors for a long time and growing those sacred seeds in that land and the land remembering and the land calling the Pawnee people home and reminding the settlers of that land that this is not their land, that the the land actually um, has been inhabited for, for many, many, many more years by uh, these, you know, Pawnee people and um, Ponca people. And so it's just really beautiful to sort of see um, how, like we're seeding kind of a new vision of what's possible as we move forward. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: You've said that seeds need to be held within a living context that is connected to their stories and web of relationships, which, you know, you've just beautifully described. But this is very, very different to storing seeds in a seed bank, which has really taken off. And you've got, you know. The plans for dealing with an apocalyptic future taking root in different parts of the world, especially in some of these most famous seed banks in the Arctic, for instance. Uh, but what you're talking about seems so different than that. It doesn't seem like you're putting it in a climate controlled um, storage facility. You're talking about putting it in the land and connecting it back to people mm-hmm. and culture and traditions.
1: Yeah. We need a restoration of those living systems that nurture and nourish those seeds um, into the future. And that's the true sustainability. Everybody's always kept a cache of seeds back, right? In clay pots or in, you know, little boxes stashed in certain places because we know that life is uncertain and we know that, you know, Mother Earth, her, her mood changes from season to season and sometimes there is crop failure. So I think farmers have always had that inherent wisdom to keep some seeds back, which I think is part of those big seed bank mentality is sort of that risk management is sort of, you know, making sure that there's some seeds um, for a time um, into the into the future. Um, but what I think that we've missed is that we've become too reliant on these gene banks is what they call them. I mean, that name itself indicates sort of the worldview is that these seeds aren't really seen as whole seeds, that they're seen as sort of a mix, a mash of genes that could be combined and cut and spliced into, um, you know, new variations. Um, and and so I think in this movement, we advocate for communities to have seed banks where there's a kind of a backup of, of the seeds. But so much of the importance of seed restoration, you know, people want to call it conservation, but it really is restoration because it's not, seeds are always changing. They're forever changing. And humans are a part, are are one part of, of helping those seeds to adapt and change to an ever, you know, ever evolving earth that we live on. They're dynamic, they're ever changing. And so the seeds need to be a part of our daily lives because um, they're, they're forever adapting not only to the external conditions of the world around us, um, but they're shaped by our hands and by our, uh, our aesthetics and by our um, creativity as humans. You know, we're continuing to shape and, and change them, and they're continuing to shape and change us. I always laugh when I talk about my work in, with seeds and work in the garden, and I say, I always think that I'm growing corn, but I think that the corn is growing me, you know. And and so how how are, how are these foods and seeds shaping us as humans? So we need to be in that dynamic uh, relationship, season in and season out. And so if we look at um, the challenges that lie ahead for our children in terms of climate change and you know all these things that we we you know think about um, seeds do have the capacity to help carry us through those uncertain times, have the capacity to adapt to uncertain futures. Um, but the only way that they'll be able to do that is if they're continuing to be grown every day in our lives and adapting to them season after season. And if we store them away in a in a cold vault um, for future generations. They're no longer responding to all the nuances from um, from season to season. And so when we pull them out of the vault 50 years from now, it's going to be a very different world from when they went into that vault. And so I think the importance of this living context of seed restoration and conservation is so vitally important. And, And I think that those seed banks and gene banks Served a purpose at their time because it was at a time where there was incredible, it was a triage situation where there was a response to an incredible. Uh, erosion of genetic diversity. But what gives me hope is working with public access seed banks like Seed Savers Exchange that recognize the importance of seeds being a part of our everyday lives and are working towards implementing programs and ways of distributing these seeds back into the communities so that they can be saved, you know, as a part of our everyday lives. Uh, Wendell Berry always says, I love this quote, you exploit what you merely value, but you defend what you love. And and I just I love to think like I feel like one of my life's biggest missions or goals is to get people to love uh, seed and food like they're our mothers, right? Because when you begin to restore those relationships to food and seed in that way, then you'll defend them against all odds. And and it really does change the face of how we envision, um, the sustainability in our, in our food system moving forward.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I, I really like that because, you know, food sustainability is a term seems to lack any real meaning anymore. It's thrown around in so many different ways. It's on packets of everything. And you talk about how it needs to engage the heart, uh, it has to be about love. Um, and also that there needs to be a recognition of the layers of the spiritual and cultural connection that's present in our relationship to food and that is part of where the evolution of the food sustainability movement needs to go not just about you know understanding seeds but in a broader sense
1: i think at the heart of the what we now see as the organic food movement so many of the people who seeded who, who revived that idea you know in this modern context are no different from me in the way that we approach the work. They were passionate. You know, a lot of those original hippie people who were, you know, the seeding, the, the organic food movement, they did it because they had a passion, they had a spiritual connection to the land, they had a longing to, to have more heart engagement, to have, you know, that connection to the land. And and so what I think has happened is this, you know, capitalist co-optation of a, of a movement that made it more about Economic sustainability and ecological sustainability in this really um, intellectual and cerebral sense, um, but uh, but I guarantee you that a lot of the people um, that grow our food um, that are you know have their hands in the earth, they they do it. They do it because they care deeply. They wouldn't be be willing to get up day in and day out to labor under the hot sun and to do the work that they do if they didn't love it deeply. And so I think for me, I'm always moving in spaces, in conferences or in in, in you know in settings to open up the door for that to be an acceptable conversation to have. That we can that we can speak. Uh, from our heart and that we can speak about our passion for this work from a spiritual and cultural level without, you know, um, risking, um, Invalidation, You know, from, you know, the scientific community or from, you know, the rational community that 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 maybe by me being courageous enough to speak in those spaces where that's not always talked about, that maybe it opens a door or gives agency or courage to other people to say, no, I that I have this yearning and this longing um, to infuse and to weave in my, you know, my spiritual connection and my cultural connection into this work. And I, and I feel like the more of us who can do that and to, to say that this is okay and that this is what we want, I feel like we'll, we will then uh, see food systems change in the direction that we all really want it to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Vandana Shiva always talks about um, sort of, like she said this to me one time she said are we feeding the are we feeding the world or are we nourishing the world right there's a difference there you know there's a difference when we look at what are we doing in this world you know to nourish um the people um in our community Uh, and nourishment takes many forms it's not just calories it's not just protein and vitamins all of us understand there's a deeper layer to nourishment and what um good meal feels like when it's cooked with love and with intention with with meaning Um, and i think that that's uh something i always strive for is to think about how we can continue to make food systems change that has that sense of deep nourishment from a multitude of levels whether it's spiritual physical cultural emotional um at its core that that's that's possible yeah it is possible
0: Emergence Magazine is an initiative of Calliopeia Foundation. Our original essays, in-depth interviews, films, and rich multimedia explore the threads connecting ecology, culture, and spirituality. Our theme music is composed by H. Scott Salinas. This podcast is edited by Ben Solitiano. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever podcasts are found. To subscribe to our newsletter, order our new print edition, and check out more of our stories, visit emergencemagazine.org.